Amen and amen. Please find your way in God's word to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. You know, every time I get up here, I, I think about that insurance commercial where the, the doctor who just got reinstated asked the patient if he was nervous. And the patient says yes, and the doctor responds, and he says, yeah, me too. Well, are you nervous? I am. We should be nervous each time we open God's word. We, we should not be scared to do it by no means, but we should have a, a reverent fear. We should have a respectful fear of God and his word. We're not gathered here today for Big Bob's story time. We are opening the word of God. We are, we are studying the words that the creator of the world has given to his children. Think about that for a moment. Each time we gather, we are studying the words that the creator of the world has given to his children. Sometimes I believe we take the scriptures for granted. You know, the Bible is not just a collection of books put together for this one time offer. It's not that. It's a collection of 66 books written over a span of uh, over 1,500 years on three different continents by approximately 40 different men in three different languages. And yet it tells one complete story about God and man. Only God can make that happen. Only God can put all of this together in one book to tell us the story of salvation, to tell us the story of how God has redeemed fallen man. So we are to cherish the word because it is through the scriptures that mankind comes to an understanding of salvation. 2 Timothy 3.15, the Holy Scriptures are able to make one wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It is the word which generates that, that saving faith, Romans 10.17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we must never take for granted the importance of God's word, amen? Paul said in said that in 2 Timothy 3.16. He said that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Meaning the inspired words of scripture are sufficient for every need. And that's why Paul's great command was simply preach the word, he said. Not, not just go preach. He didn't say that. No, he said go preach the word. And that's what Paul preached. He preached the word. We saw last week that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He said, it's for, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. One of my favorite verses, 1 Peter 1.23. Peter understood the power of the word of God. He said, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He says there's incredible power in the word of God. And so for the ones who have been born again, we are to cherish the word. We are to love it. We are to desire it. We are to hide it in our hearts because it is in the scriptures where we see God fulfilling his promises. And because we can see that God fulfills his promises, we have a living hope in our hearts. We have a no-so hope in our hearts. The psalmist had that hope. He says, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life, Psalm 119.50. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise, Psalm 119.123. And that's what we see here in the book of Romans. We see the fulfillment of God's righteous promise. 
the promise that gives eternal life. Amen? Amen. And that's why I'm nervous, and I hope you are too. Now, in my travels, I have seen many churches, and I always take note of their names. A lot of, uh, you know, you see a lot of uh, First Baptist churches. You don't see many Second Baptist churches. I, you know, I love to read, the, you know, their marquees, and some of them are eye-catching. But in my travels, I have seen several churches that were called the full gospel. Maybe you have seen them. And I've always thought, are there churches out there to give a partial gospel? And sad to say there is, but they don't name their church the partial gospel church. They, they don't broadcast that too much. But I'm thinking maybe those churches that have taken on the name full gospel is doing what Paul has done here in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is the full gospel. It's the complete good news from the beginning to the end. Walk with me here. Many of us have, has, has heard about, have heard about the, the Roman road, right? The track that you give people, that you hand out. You know, the Roman road is basically a, a way of explaining the good news of salvation by using verses from the book of Romans. It's, it's a simple method of explaining why we need salvation how God provided salvation, how we can receive salvation, and, and what are the results of salvation. So it's very simple, so walk with me here. Romans 3.23 says, For all sin and fall short of the glory of God, so no one is innocent. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. The punishment that we have earned for our sins is death, not just physical death, but spirit, but eternal death. 623 goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Romans 5.8 declares, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus paid the price of our sins and Jesus' resurrection proves that God accepted Jesus' death as the payment for our sins. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13 then says it again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins and rescued us from eternal death. The word tells us that salvation, the forgiveness of sins, is available to anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And for the ones who have put their trust in Jesus, Romans 8, 38 through 9 gives us this assurance. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, not, not, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So that's the Roman road. Many have heard about it. I would say that the Roman road is your elevator speech, all right? You climb in an elevator, you got three floors to give this guy the gospel. You give him the Roman road, right? Now, if that's all that we needed out of the book of Romans, or if that was the full gospel, then why did God give us 16 chapters in this letter? Why would God give us over 7,000 words if all we really needed was just 100 of them to share the gospel? Answer? Romans, the entire letter, is the full gospel. You see, it's like Pastor Jared said last week. You hear the gospel. You hear, you hear the Roman road. You have an understanding of being a sinner in need of a Savior. 
You understand the very love of God and you believe in the resurrected Savior. And you ask Christ to come into your life and the Spirit then goes to work in you. He opens your heart, mind, and soul to the truth. And once that happens, a desire to know more about God, a desire to know more about the Scriptures and your Savior fills your heart. The Spirit goes to work in you. Because you now know that you are a child of God. You are part of the family. You are a member of the kingdom of God. And a desire to become more Christ-like begins to consume you. A desire to glorify Jesus Christ with everything you say and do will be your motive in life. So you hear the gospel message, and then you desire to study the full gospel. Amen? The book of Romans is the full gospel from the beginning to the end. The book of Romans takes us all the way back to the beginning and walks us right up to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the story of God's righteousness, that is, his faithfulness to keep the covenant that he made with Abraham. And we must keep that in mind as we, as we walk through this letter. Jew and Gentile are under sin, as we will see in our text. But as we walk through this letter, we'll see that God's purpose for sending Jesus was to fulfill that promise that he made to Abraham, to rescue mankind from the sin in Adam and to make a family of Jew and Gentile and make a family like this, the kingdom of God, to bring all together into the kingdom of God. And he does this in the flesh of the Messiah. Pastor Jared made a quote last week, and it just rang in my head and rang in my head all week long. And I just want to say it again. It doesn't have anything to do with what I'm saying here today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It just rang in my head. He said, there's a new sheriff in town. No, that's not what he said. This is what he said. He said, there is a new king in town. His name is Jesus. He is a 30-year-old Jew who said he was the king of Israel, who was crucified by their leaders, who was resurrected by God, and one day, will judge the world. Man, that's just good news. It's good news. And that statement just rang and rang and rang. I love it. So let's dig in our word today. We are, as some will say in the opening scene of this letter, is the wrath of God. Chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can, be, what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. <laughs> creeping things, not creepy. They may be creepy too. Yeah. Both words work. <laughs> Therefore, God gave them up in the, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. <clears throat> so Paul begins by making this statement. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. 
you know, this is where the story begins. This is, this is the reason for the full gospel. This is why we need the good news. This is the unveiling of God's justice right here. Why did he say the wrath is revealed? He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Another translation, the anger of God is unveiled or uncovered from heaven against all ungodliness and injustice performed by people who use injustice to suppress the truth. So here's what we have. We have the, the human race has worked itself into rebellion against its creator at every level. That's what we see here in our text. And that's the, that's the, the, the core of the problem right here. Humans have rebelled against God, against the creator of the world and everything in it. And thus the wrath of God is revealed because of human rebellion against him. So the wrath of God is God's justifiable anger towards the human race that has suppressed the truth about him because of their preference for unrighteousness. And we will see because of their preference for unrighteousness, because of man's preference for unrighteousness, things are messed up and need fixing, as we say in the South. Mankind did not do what God created him to do. God created man to do what? He was created to know, serve, love, and worship God. How was man supposed to know and serve God? Genesis 1, 26 through 27 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let, him, let, them, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so humans from the beginning mankind from the beginning in the image of god were created to rule over god's creation man was to recognize god and serve him by ruling over his creation but he failed man failed why the word says who by their unrighteousness they suppressed the truth they suppressed the truth they knew there was a god it's clear there is a creator, and yet they let their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They, they were not willing to let God be God. They, they were not willing to acknowledge God's power in and over of the, of the world. Mankind was not willing to worship God as God. They were not willing to do what they were told to do. Nothing new under the sun. It's not that they couldn't do this. They chose to rebel. And with the suppressing of the truth comes the unveiling of God's wrath. And let's talk about God's wrath for a moment. What, did, what is the wrath of God? You know, many people have, have used these verses to, to bash sinners over the head with a hardback Bible. You know, if you keep sinning, you're suppressing the truth. God's going to get more and more angry at you. And, and soon God will take you out. He's going to give you over and crush you and then whack, you just hit them with it. Here's the truth. Listen, what, what is Paul doing here? Paul is developing the story of salvation here and the need for a savior. The wrath of God is revealed because of what? Un unrighteousness. And later in the letter, we'll see how we can escape this wrath. But listen, the wrath of God 
is a principle that operates in a universe, that operates in creation. The wrath of God is the consequence, consequence of disobedience and rebellion. The wrath is revealed because of disobedience and rebellion. And there are consequences. Let me explain. If I drive my car into a wall at 100 miles an hour, we do not say, well, he suppressed the truth and God finally took him out. No, we don't do that. It's the law of inertia that energized me and that car into an immovable force, the wall. Right? You see, see, so you see that God has created a world which there are laws, and when you violate those laws, certain consequences take place. Now, the same thing is true spiritually. The wrath of God that Paul's talking about is simply the spiritual consequences of sin. This law is at work in the world, and when you sin, you are setting yourself up for the consequences of sin. When man transgresses the moral law that God has set in place, he will reap the consequences of that transgression. The wrath that has been revealed is at work in the world right now. There is a future wrath to come, but as for right now, we can see the wrath of God towards unrighteousness. Look around. You can destroy lives because of sin. You can see destroyed marriages because of the consequences of sin. You can see the wrath towards unrighteousness has been revealed, unveiled. When someone chooses to sin, they're choosing to step out from under the umbrella of blessing and right into the storm of the wrath of God. Wrath is the inevitable consequence of sin. I've told my children time after time, there are consequences for your actions. And as you get older, the consequences get bigger. So just stop for a moment and look at the world in which we live in. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this saying, Jesus is coming back soon. Have you seen how bad this world is? Th you know what? That's evidence of God, how bad this world is. The world is getting worse and worse as the reprobate mind declines. The scripture tells us of this, 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Those who do not desire to live a godly life, that is evil people, will continue down a road of destruction, gaining speed the whole time. But also take notice in this verse here. There is good news in this text. As we see the wrath working on evil men, we also see that wonderful divine grace at work. Those who desire to live a godly life, they're not going down that same road of destruction. And take note also, evil and godliness are happening at the same time on this earth. Just like the kingdom of God is here and the power of evil, are, of evil is also at work at the same time. If you are in the kingdom of God, it means you are a child of God. But you can live right beside an unbeliever who is a child of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3. The wrath has been revealed 
and it reveals the depravity of man. It shows us that humanity is morally bankrupt and in need of a bailout. Now, even though mankind is morally bankrupt, it doesn't mean that mankind doesn't have a choice here. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You know, you hear people say this all the time. How can a loving God send anyone to hell? Right? Well, well, these verses right here say that man is without excuse for rebelling against God because they knew there is a God. They knew it. You know, the very act of wanting to be God, that's what mankind did. With the very act of wanting to be kind, be, wanting to be God proves they knew there was a God. You know, where do you think that desire to worship came from? They choose to worship the creation instead of the creator. How did they know to worship? Where did that come from? By their own actions, they proved there, there is a God. You know, when I was unsaved, I could look around and know there was a God. Didn't understand any of it. I really didn't. All I had was creation, and, and that was enough. I knew there was a, a God somewhere. I was, I was verse 20. Nothing godly in me, but I could see God around me. I clearly perceived there was a God and creator. Now, when I started preaching this morning, I said this wasn't Big Bob's story time, but I've got a story to tell. Hang with me here. When I was in the second grade, the Americans are about to land on the moon again. I don't remember which time it was. Big event in history, though. And in school back then, they rolled a TV into every room. We didn't have TVs in their hands like we do now. But they rolled the TVs in so we could all watch this moon landing. And I asked my teacher, I said, why are we landing on the moon? Why are we going to the moon? And she said, well, we're going to uh, bring back rocks and stuff from the moon to study them. True story, second grade, I'm a deep thinker. <clears throat> I said, we need to leave all that stuff alone. She asked me why. And I said, that is God's stuff up there. We need to leave it up there, right? Well, she thought that was the greatest thing to hear an eight-year-old boy with a head full of beautiful blonde hair say that. She loved it so much that she took me, found another teacher, took me to the principal's office, and had me tell my story to them and what I was thinking and what I said. I guess that was my first sermon. I was preaching Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You see, I did not need to see a miracle to know there was a God. I did not even need the word of God to tell me that there was a God, that there is a God. Between my conscience and seeing creation, I knew there was a God. I had no excuse for not going after the light that God had given me. I had no excuse for the way I lived my life up to 1997. I knew there was a God. So back to the statement we hear a lot. How can a loving God send anyone to hell? The answer is 
God does not wreak wrath where he has not sown knowledge. Throughout scripture, we see it is God that does the saving, but it is man who chooses to reject God in salvation. You know, when someone says they can't believe in a God that would send anyone to eternal damnation, with that very statement, they're declaring their knowledge. They're declaring their knowledge that there is a God. God does not wreak wrath where he has not sown knowledge. One more point before we move on. In the open, I said, you know, that Paul takes us back to the beginning. When he speaks of this wrath being revealed, when did he do it? It happened before Moses was born, all right? It happened before Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. I want you to keep that picture in your mind, that big picture that Paul is giving us, the full gospel. He's building his case for, us, for the need for a Savior. He's building his case for the kingdom of God. So this happened before God called out the nation of Israel. There was no Jew or Gentile at this point. All of mankind understands the wrath of God that is revealed to creation. All of mankind is in need of a Savior, Jew and Gentile. Paul continues, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Here we see the downward spiral of mankind. They knew God. They suppressed the truth. They suppressed the truth because they did not want to honor God as God. If they do not want to honor him, they are surely not going to give him thanks. And they start going down that road. Their thinking becomes futile. They're, they're, they become foolish and hearts become darkened. And the real issue here is man did not want God to be his Lord. That's how it is. That's the bottom line. Man's failure is not that he fails to recognize God. It is he will not let God rule his life. Man knows God. We have already covered that. He acknowledges God, but he will not let God rule his life. And so he ends up with an empty mind and a darkened heart. He has become a product of the wrath of God. Now, now what does fallen man do when he reaches this level of, of depravity here, this, this lowness? He, he knows there's a God. He, he knows he is to worship and give thanks. But he does not want God to be Lord of his life. So what does he do? Verse 22, claiming to be wise, he became fools, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals. You know, as man continues to spiral down, he has reached the level of religious stupidity. Not, not, not that, but, but look how low man has gone. What did we read in Genesis? Man was created in the image of God and created to rule over creation, right? Hey, here we have a man exchanging that glory or the image of the, of the immortal God to worship mortal man. And he doesn't stop there. He takes it to the next level and he worships, worships creation instead of ruling over it. They created idols. They created false gods. 
what would be the reason to for man to go this far away from God? I said it a minute ago, man did not worship God because man did not want God to be his Lord. Why? Because man wants to do what man wants to do. He does not want God to rule over him. So fallen man says this, says this to himself. Here's the best way not to break rules. You create your own God. You make up your own rules. You create your own God that is okay with your sin. You can see it everywhere. That's what fallen man does. You know, isn't it amazing that the first on the list of false gods is man? Takes us right back to the garden. This fulfilled Satan's purpose when he told Eve, you shall be as God. Instead of man being made in God's image, man made God his own image and then descended as so low as to worship birds, beasts, and creepy things. What does God do? What's his response? Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts, verse 24, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the cre creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Therefore, verse 24, therefore, they have gone as far away from God as possible. Therefore, God gave them, gave them up in their lust of their hearts to impurity. Therefore, because of the impurity in their hearts, the lust of their hearts affected their body. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. When God gave man up, his body became corrupt. His desires and his will became corrupt. His mind became corrupt. His thinking processes reprobate. His will, which, desire, which decides what he would do, is vile, and he dishonors his own body. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dis dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relationship for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. There's the consequences of the sin, but they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than, creator, rather than the creator. And that brings on the wrath of God. Verse 24, God gave them up. Verse 26, God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them over. Remember what I said about the wrath of God in the beginning. It's simply the spiritual consequences of sin. This law is at work in the world. And when you sin, you are setting yourself up for the consequences of sin. So as we look back in verses 24 through, two, through 28, we see this. God simply let them go and left the consequences of his, of his own law to take effect. He turned them over. God didn't do anything, but turned them over, and the consequences of sin took over their lives and receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. You know, sin's like that little snowball rolling down the hill. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger before you know it's out of control and too big to handle and all of this started 
with the suppressing of the truth and descended to the dishonoring of their bodies. You know, this text has bothered me for years, this dishonoring of the bodies and, and the verses we just read. You know, the verses about, you know, it, it just didn't seem like it fit to me. You know, maybe because I've heard it used so many times to throw big rocks at those sinners. You know, it, it bothered me because I never heard any sermons on the rest of the sinners in this text that they wanted to throw big rocks at. You know, I've never heard sermons that damned the gossipers, or better yet, haven't heard any major rock-throwing sermons towards the disobedient children that's in this list. Don't, me, don't read me wrong. These, these are all sins. The sins are bad, yes. But I kept asking, why did Paul bring up dishonoring their bodies the way he did in this letter to the Roman church? I think this will help us. As we look at how they dishonored their bodies, we go back to Genesis again. Turn with me. Turn back to Genesis 1.26. I want you to see this. Remember, Paul's taking us back to the beginning. He's building his case. He's giving us the full gospel. We just read this. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on this earth. So, so let's back up. Let's, let's go down our list today. We saw that the first thing that mankind did was suppress the truth. They did not honor God as God. They clearly denied the one who created them in his own image. And because of that, their thinking became futile they then turned to idolatry and worship the creation instead of the creator. Now, all those sins would fall under verse 27. So God created man in his own image, the image of God he created them. All right, so all that would fall under verse 27. And so if we look at verse 28, let's watch this. And God blessed them. God said to them, this is the first commandment God gave them. First command, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This is the first command that God gave mankind. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This command was given way before do not lie, way before honor your parents, before the Ten Commandments. So for good reason, Paul has placed this sin of dishonoring the body where he did. You cannot fulfill the command to be fruitful and multiply by dishonoring the body. You can't do it. Paul is just walking us down the road to show us how man has rebelled against everything of God. It is against the supernatural law to not worship God. It is against the natural law to dishonor the body. Listen, the sin of dishonoring their bodies and fulfilling the lust of an impure heart is not here in the text because it's the absolute worst sin, as some would say. No, sin is sin. Sin is bad. It is bad. We're not saying that. 
This sin is in the same list as the haughty and boastful person. They're all bad. But what Paul has done by giving us the full gospel, he's taken us back to the beginning to show us what a desperate situation mankind is in. Because of the sins of man, God's wrath has been revealed. And the only way that one, anyone can escape that wrath, the wrath of God, is a divine intervention. It will take an act of God to bring salvation to the human race. The wrath of God has been uncovered. We are able to see the consequences of sin. So as I close today, I have a couple of questions that each of us should ask ourselves. As we have seen the condition of fallen man and the unveiling of the wrath of God, we should ask ourselves, am I suppressing the truth? And is God first in my life? There's a lot wrapped up in those two questions. But the bottom line is, you have to ask yourself, am I a child of wrath or am I a child of God? Do you know that you know that you are in the kingdom of God? You've heard the truth today. God's eternal power and divine nature can be clearly perceived in creation. You have no excuse. Don't suppress the truth. Amen? That's good.